0: Everyone, welcome to Life Church. My name is Sarah, and I serve on our Kids Life team. We're so glad to have you with us today. When you walked into service today, you received a bulletin. On the inside of that bulletin is our connection card. That card does just what it says and helps us to stay connected to you. If you would, go ahead and fill that card out with as much information as you're comfortable giving. At the bottom of your card is a writing section for our Pray for Ones. Our Pray for One ministry is the prayer that we're praying every day that God would send us one person to share his love with. We know that God wants you to discover your purpose right here at Life Church. The way that we help you do that is through grow. Grow is where we take the time to help you find where you best fit at Life Church and help you get placed on a dream team. Grow takes place the first two Sundays of every month at 1030. You can sign up for our upcoming sessions on the back of your connection card. For more information about Grow or anything else going on at Life Church, please visit our Welcome Center in the lobby. That's it for Life Church News. Enjoy the rest of your service. Good morning, Life Church. Hope you guys—you guys doing well? Yes. Awesome. Well, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming out to church today to hear God's word. It's just great to be together in Christ's name. Hey, before I jump into uh, the Word of God and get into the message, just want to quickly remind you that our life groups start up in little less than a month. And an experience I've had at least a hundred times down through these many years of doing this is. Whatever night life group falls on, many times I've gotten close to it and said, oh, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too whatever, but every time I go, I've never ceased to leave that evening and just say this, I am so glad I went. It is There's something about getting together uh, with God's people we need. We need friendships uh, with good, uh, healthy Christian people, and that's really what life groups are all about, so I hope that you will... Uh, Find your way into one here. Uh, Again, it's just towards the end of September, but we really wanted to start setting you up. And also mention that some of you might consider leading a life group uh, this session. Uh, It's not as complicated as you think. I know we think that you have to be a superhero. That's simply not true, Uh, especially our system. I mean, many life groups revolve around different activities. My wife leads a life group of women that just go out shooting at a range. Yeah, hopefully they're not. Pretending that's their husbands at the end of that range. I don't know what's in their minds, but the, I guess the, the point is—is is it doesn't? It's not all just Bible studies. Uh, some are. Uh, the one I lead is, and uh, anyways, it's—it's it's a great time, and I just really hope that you'll jump in. If you—if you'll even consider uh, leading one, just write that down in the back of your connection card, and we'll get a hold of you, get you some information. Doesn't mean you're committed, but get you some information about what that would entail, because it is a blessing to be a part. Hey, we're going to talk to you about a transformed life, what it looks like. That really is our vision statement here. We believe that if, you're gonna, if you'll jump in with us, follow Christ as a part of his church, Jesus promises that he's going to transform our lives into something that we want, something that's better, something that's energized by his spirit. And that's our plan to change the world, by the way. It's God's plan to change the world, that as we are transformed by Christ, it's just automatic. You just, you touch the people around you. It's not complicated the same way that good restaurants stay busy, word of mouth, right? If if you've truly been blessed, you're going to talk. And uh, our life is transformed, transformed by Christ. And we're going to talk about the grace today, the grace that flows in. The Bible likens that grace uh, to water. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but the place that this grace, this water, flows the most is a place called heaven. So we'll start ta- well, I'll start this message talking about heaven. If you know me well, you know that I'm not going to talk about something like that just so we can learn something about the future. We're going to land right in the middle of our lives, our day-to-day lives, something that's amazingly applicable, something you can apply and help, will help you every moment of every day, but it's going to help you just to learn a little bit about heaven. Hopefully, you guys are looking forward to heaven. You guys look. I mean, there's only two options: smoking or non-smoking. So, well, hopefully, you're looking forward uh, <laughs> to heaven, right? And <clears throat> I've read a, a couple books on heaven. This is probably the considered the, you know, the best one out there. At least if you want to study the Bible on it. A lot of people give their theories, but they're not really, you know, biblically based. And they'll take you to all sorts of wild, you know, things that, it's just imaginary. He really just studies the Bible and just brings it out. What is heaven actually going? Uh, to be. And it really is a, a profound book. But let me just read you just one sentence um, from the book. And I will say this. Let me just say before I say this, I'm, I've got to be honest with you. I'm kind of proud of myself for actually getting through a book that thick. Um, I do have the male version of ADD. So for me to get through that entire book was, uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, but just one sentence. And this is a great book, by the way. I'd recommend it, called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, but. Great book, but I will say, of all the books I've ever read in my life, this was the most repetitive by far. Because heaven, um, and we'll see this as I read the sentence, heaven is actually on the earth. And it seemed like the bottom line, it seemed like the answer to every question that he was answering, every description, every little different nuance of it, it seemed to go back to the same answer, that it's life on earth perfected perfected, glorified, you know, with all the the pain gone. Let me just read this one sentence. He says this, In order to get a picture of heaven, which will one day be centered on the new earth, just let me give you 30 seconds of description there. The Bible is very clear that heaven is an actual place right now. If you have loved ones uh, that have passed on, the new Christ, they're they're already there. Probably the best way for our brains to think of it is, is a literal planet, it's described as a city, but when we think of a city, it's flat, right? I mean, a city is flat. Well, it, you know, it grows up. The buildings are tall, but it's all flat on the ground. Uh, heaven is described as, well, like, kind of like the earth. It's, it's got dimensions, right? It's width, depth, height. It's described. Um, actually, the Bible gives the size of it, slightly larger than our moon, but it's described just as a city, okay? And this city, uh, when Christ returns and in the resurrection, this city comes down and actually is placed upon the earth. Now something how something that large gets planted on our earth, kind of hard to figure out, but I think God God God's got a way. But this new heaven, again which already exists, right? We've got loved ones there, comes down and it's on a new earth, completely redone, right? Uh, a glorified redone earth. But he says in order to get a picture of heaven, which will one day will be centered on the new earth, he says this, you don't need to look up to the clouds. You simply need to look around you and imagine what this would be like without sin, death, suffering, and corruption. Now that one sentence gets repeated in many different ways throughout this book, and he does make this comment in the book. He makes a comment on, after having written this, how many people, you know, everybody loved the book, but he said he's gotten a lot of comments from people that were disappointed a little bit disappointed, feeling like, gosh, somehow in their mind, heaven was going to be somehow... I, I guess the bottom line is he, they felt like when they got that description of heaven or, or read about heaven, that they thought it was going to be better. They thought it was going to be more glorious. And he feels like he's done his best to, to paint it as glorious. And I got to be honest, as I read the book, I kind of had some of those same emotions and those same feelings. And he said this, he said, most people have that, that disappointment when they find out that heaven is physical. It is, it's physical. It's, it's these bodies. Now, they're resurrected, they're perfected, they're glorified, they're, I mean, we get a tummy tuck in the process, right? So don't worry, right? It's all good, it's all good. But something about it being physical, he says, uh, you know, a lot of people struggle with that. And I'm going to, in a few minutes, kind of give you my theory as to to why that is. But then I started noticing the scriptures on the topic of heaven. And every time you find heaven described in the Bible, it doesn't only tell you what is there. It always describes what isn't there. And again, I'll get to my theory as to why it's kind of hard for us to imagine heaven so otherworldly. Well, let me say this much. We know that heaven, I mean, this is... God has no limits, right? He's God. He can do anything. So heaven, obviously, in our mind, I mean, it's it's the best God can come up with. And the bottom line, is, it's hard for us to connect this life because we know this life, gosh, I mean, how, how how much better could it get if it's here, if it's still on the earth? Well, let's look at the Bible's de- description. Let's get, look, look at a couple of scriptures defining what heaven actually is, and I think we'll uncover my theory pretty quickly as to why it's hard for us to imagine heaven as glorious as it actually is. All right, here, here's uh, Revelation 20. The clearest pictures you'll see of heaven in the book are in the book of Revelation. The angel showed me a river with the water. Will you say these words? Say the water of life. It's an interesting picture of heaven the, that one of the first things it tells you, that from the very throne of God is flowing this water. We're going to come back to the water in a minute, but of all healing according to Scripture, is, is a part of this water. Uh, and uh, that. And by the way, everything that does flow in heaven, everything that is a part of heaven, the Bible's clear that we get a deposit of it in this lifetime. If, you've sa- if you said yes to Christ, that there is a deposit, a down payment, a small portion of, of that world, Not obviously not all of it, but, but we get a deposit, a small piece of it. So there's a little bit of this water already here. So this water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, Again, that's interesting what flows from the throne of God is water. And of the lamb, it flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew that tree of life, a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. So there's healing in heaven. Another interesting aspect that he brings out in the book and of heaven is that their healing implies a, a, a process. Did you know that when you get... Yes, you're planted immediately. When you arrive in heaven, you're in perfection. But did you know that you're going to grow for an eternity? You're going to learn. You're not going to land there with all knowledge and just you're you're at the top. No, you're going to grow. You're going to learn. You're going to build. You're going to explore for an eternity. There's a reason this universe is this vast. He says, we're going to explore it all. But our home base will always be on this earth. And he talks even about work. The Bible describes work there. Another reason why it's hard to picture that good, right? I mean, how fun, I mean, work, I mean, can work and heaven be in the same, well, apparently they are. Can work be fun, by the way? It's supposed to be. Can be. All right. So, but healing, to heal the nations. Now, notice this. Again, I told you this. Every description of heaven that not only tells you what is there, it tells you what isn't. And you'll see it here. No longer will there be a curse. Say that word. Say Curse. 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 again, every description of heaven shows you not what is there, but what isn't. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Hmm, A curse. I, I guess I didn't know there was a curse on things right now. Well, let's go to another description of heaven in chapter 21 of Revelation. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is one of the many pictures we have, clearly showing us that heaven, what is heaven now, the people you already have already passed on, it's it's actually already physical, is is coming down and, you know, plants itself on this new earth that that God creates. And then again, the description, you know, after that, the next verse, talking about us, that they will be his people. This is talking about us in eternity in heaven. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Another part that's probably hard for us to comprehend is what a difference. I mean, God is with us by his spirit today but to literally have God physically on the earth. God will be with them and be their God. Now notice how immediately he gets into, again, what isn't there, what gets wiped away. So what is there? God is there. Okay, but here he quickly gets to what isn't, what doesn't make the trip from this earth to heaven. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. You guys ever have any tears? I think we all have. And then again, he goes into more detail of describing what doesn't make the trip to heaven. There'll be no more Death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order. Say those words with me. Say old order. Well, this old order is what we're living in right now. We are living in the old order. This is a different way of saying that curse that he mentioned in the last verse. It's what we live in. Now, let me get you to my theory quickly. Here's my theory of why it's a little disappointing or why it's hard to imagine that it could be the best God could do here on the earth because I think that we all have lived, well, we've, we've, all, we've all spent our entire lives on earth, right? Right? You, you guys with me? We don't have any Martians in here today, do we? Yeah, we're all, okay, so we've spent our whole life here. We've spent our entire life in this old order of things, and this old order According to God, is death, mourning, crying, or pain? Now, just stop for a second and ask. If you were just on the spot, now, you're you're here hearing the Bible, so you'd probably give the Bible answer if you were asked right now. But just if you're just stopped on the street and said, you know, give me four words to describe the order of things, the, the overall order of things. What things dominate the earth, the world? Give me four things. I bet you wouldn't say death, mourning, crying, or pain. Now, we're aware those things exist, but we wouldn't call that the order of things. But God does. God says normal here and now. The order, the very order of things. What actually runs the show here, on the physical end of it anyways, is death, mourning, crying, or pain. Now, my theory as to why it's so hard to imagine heaven so great is because we can't imagine life without those things. And the point is, my point is... I don't feel like I'm experiencing those things now. Quite honestly, I mean, let's be clear. Yes, i I've, my dad passed away a while back, and so I mean, I've known I know pain. We've all known pain, okay? And when I say this, God forbid that this sounds like, you know, I, I feel like I have little pain because of my faith. I don't think it has anything to do with that. If anything, it's probably because I'm a little bit out of touch. Uh, with reality, and maybe I'm a little bit numb, quite honestly, Uh, but I'll just say this. More often than not, if you just caught me and said, Pastor Brian, how much pain do you have right now? You know, if you go into the hospital, it's one of the questions they ask you, you know, zero to 10. I mean, what a subjective question, by the way. You know, zero to 10, what's your pain level? Is there ever a more subjective question than that? Uh, (laughs) 7.6. you know, it's, it's all in your head, right? Whatever, whatever you say it is, right? So, Zero to 10, what's your pain? If you caught me most time, you know, again, now knowing the sermon, I I would give you the correct answer. But normally, if I didn't have the sermon somewhere in the back of my head, if you just caught me on on any day and said, Pastor Brian, you know, zero to 10, what's your pain level? Zero. That's what I think. And and I would say most of my life, I would say that. And I don't, I'm not saying that because, uh, you know, I, it's because of my faith, you know, thank God by his grace, I don't have... Something physical. I mean, many of you have another experience physically, but I think when you, when you realize when it's talking about pain, it's not just and only. I don't even. I wouldn't even say primarily talking about physical pain, but it's just my experience. Okay. Now, track with me here. Keep with. Stick with me. So I'm. I'm going to say I'm a zero. You just ask me. Now, isn't that strange? That I claim that my pain level zero, when God says. That's actually what's dominating the earth. God says these are, this is the very order of things. Do you catch it? God is saying what you're calling a zero actually is dominating you. Actually, you don't even recognize it. Let me, let me say it this way. Probably the easiest way to understand this is how many have ever had this conversation before? Have you ever said this to anybody, you know, it's been sitting there? Because we, we t- when, when you're making small talk with people, generally there's a reason the weather comes up, because you want to talk about something universal that you both experience together. So that's why weather, pretty normal thing. Yeah, you know, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? Beautiful day. I mean, even, even me, Mr. Antisocial, even I can talk about the weather. You yeah, know, sunny day. When's the last time you had somebody come up and just making small talk and say, oh, wow, more gravity is really pulling on me today. <laughs> Whew, strong, strong today, strong, man. Just pulling me down. Man, it's dominating me. Is that, have you ever, I mean, if somebody just walked up to you and had small talk like that, would you not like, all right, dude, <laughs> K- catch you later. Uh, I mean, that, that would be minorly, minorly odd, Right. Really? Yeah, gravity's pulling strong today. But here's, let me ask a question. Is it? Is it pulling on you strong? Are there any things on your physical frame that are slightly south of their original (laughs) location? And it's not our fault. I mean, we're keeping this thing tight, right? It's purely gravity, all right? It's all gravity's fault. It, It is, excuse me, is gravity pulling on us strongly? Yeah. So why have we never considered it? Why is it hard for our brains even to compute that? It's like, well, I I guess so. Einstein says so, so I guess it must be so. Why is it hard for our brains to compute it, though? Because it has been such a normal part of our experience. We've never known a millisecond without it, so it's such a part of our experience, we can't compute it. We can't. We, We just assume that's normal. That's our baseline, right? That's exactly what God is saying is this is such a part of the baseline of our current experience that when you say you're at a zero, you're not even close to a zero. You're swimming in it. You're swimming in this pain. And thats it, it, it's impossible for us to comprehend what life is like when that's just sucked out, all of it gone. Since we've never known without it, life without it, we, we can't comprehend it. With that gone, and it, if you really see this, it is amazing, and it really will add value to your everyday normal life when you recognize that in eternity, that the eternal God who can do anything, who has no limits, that when he thinks of the best thing he could do for eternity, for heaven, it's going to be loving relationships with other human beings and him. But it's relationships. That's the best. Now it's it's that without with all the pain gone, with all the curse gone, with all with joy, love being on a, on, a, on a different level. But it's really as profound when you think that that now. Yes, again, do we explore the universe? All those yes, absolutely, all adventure yes. But it's still, the baseline is still that the things that you're going to enjoy most in heaven, and this is profound if you'll think about it, that according to God, the thing you'll enjoy most in eternity is something that's already here, something you already have, something that's already a potential for you. Now, we're going to go from here to, I think, where it gets a little bit more interesting, at least for me, is Jesus' first sermon, all right? When God steps onto the earth and preaches his first sermon, do you think do you think he practiced? I mean, do you think he was ready? I mean, if you were here a couple months ago, uh, my son Luke preached his first sermon just a couple of months ago. Not bad for a young guy, right? He's sitting right back there. So you're supposed to go, yeah, yeah, woo that's awesome, it was amazing. Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> Um, but do you think Jesus, his first sermon, do you think he was a little bit rusty, you know, didn't really quite know what he was going to say, and <clears throat> kind of stammered and stuttered? And, I mean, when God steps to the earth and grabs the mic, he's ready, right? He's ready. So called the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon in the history of the world by far. And here's the very first words. Now, keep in mind, this is God's description of heaven. So here's the first words when Jesus, his first message, Right? Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Hmm, interesting. Now, this word poor, God blesses those who are poor, other translations have it different ways, but essentially, you could trend, you could put any one of these words in there, because that's what he means. This poverty, this poor, he's identifying, that's just another way of saying the pain, the, the, the problems, the problems. That, that, that pain that, that, according to God, dominates the earth. Jesus is saying, blessed, the really happy people are the people who are aware of that. They get it. They understand it. They feel it, if you will. Those are the happy people. Those are the really blessed people. Now, what's weird about that? is everyone, and number one, this is the very thing that heaven eradicates, and interestingly enough, according to Jesus, it eradicates it now, it, Heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not saying that the people who get this, the people who are aware of this pain, that they get to go to heaven when they die. That is not what he's saying. He's saying this deposit of heaven that's already here, the kingdom of heaven is theirs here and now. The, those are the people on planet Earth right now that experience God, his spirit. Do you remember that we talked about the water of life that flows from God, and that water is the source of healing. You guys remember that? Yes? All right. Where does water, you ever notice that water tends to congregate in the same place? Isn't that strange? Why, how does water decide where to congregate? I mean, does it huddle up? Does it get the team together? Huddle up, huddle, huddle, huddle up. All right, all right. The quarterback says, All right, all right. You go, to the, you go to the top of the mountain. You, you, you. You stay. You stay in the middle. And I'm going low. I'm going low. All right. I, break. Let's go do it. Is that, is that what water does? Water does not need a huddle. Water does not need a committee meeting. Every molecule of water on planet Earth is fighting for the same spot. Where is it? Where does water go? It goes low every time. Doesn't need to think about it. Doesn't need to pray about it. It just what? It's fighting for the bottom. That's, why is water across the road and not here? That's the low spot. It's always that way. Water, you don't need to pray for water to do that. That's what it does. Just Google this. Google the phrase, the miracle of water, and what God has created, just in physical water, is, is wild. Every other element, when it freezes, when it gets cold, gets smaller, goes to the bottom. Water is the only thing that, when it freezes, gets bigger, and it goes to the top. You know that if ice formed at the bottom of lakes, everything would die? God, like, eh, hmm. all right, let's fix that. Reverses it. Water floats when it freezes. All right. D-d- I'm going to lose a couple of you because you're going to get into the physics of this. This is not about. This is not a physics lesson, right? Just, all right, just hang on. But I'm going to tell you one more thing that's that's even more strange about water. And again, you, you scientists are don't don't let me lose you, right? Come back, come back, and because we're we're applying this to our life. This actually has nothing to do with. Water, but I need to tell you this, anyways. Did you know that water, all things being equal, water does not float. It doesn't. Water does not float on water. It's actually. Let, let's just say it this way: water actually is fighting for the bottom. Now, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that in the ocean there's actually like a physical fight going on. Water. Ah, let me down there. Let me down. No, but actually, water doesn't float. Water is happiest on the bottom. On the bottom. So the, the most successful molecule of water in the history of the world right now is at the very bottom of the ocean. you know what's going on at the bottom of the ocean? Like a, like a, like a trick question Pastor, <laughs> oh, I'm not asking what... Here's what we know for a fact is going on at the bottom of the ocean. There is so much pressure there. I mean, if an elephant could stand on your head, put all of its pressure you know, on, on one leg and on your head... Uh, that would be a lot of pressure, right? If you multiplied that by 100, that's what the pressure at the bottom of the ocean. Water's down there, like, bring it on. Feeling no pressure, just the miracle of water the way it is, it just doesn't take pressure like that. It likes it, it doesn't notice. It's, it's a miracle. It's, a, it's this miraculous thing. And notice again, water, here's the biggest point water's fighting for the bottom water's fighting for the see what is poor poor is poor means that's the depression that's the that's the deficit are you tracking that's the problem that's where water flows what jesus is saying is the really really happy people the really blessed people are the people who just get it they see they recognize the order of things in this world and they recognize that they are desperate they're desperate now, what is, now, don't answer this question out loud, because this one actually has a correct answer. But what is, you know, we all have this. According to God, we all have this morning crying, pain, this thing is going on. What is the number one thing, the universal thing, the number one thing that human beings seek to fill that up, to, to fill that hole, to fill that depression, if you will? What, what is human to seek? Well, the number one thing, because when I say that, people come with different answers. And they're all correct answers. There's a million things human beings try to fill that with. You know, somebody say, alcohol. Well, that's one of them. That's one of them for sure. But the one thing by far, by far, the dominant thing that human beings chase in order to fill that is a thing called success. Now, maybe you would define it differently, but it's success. Why? Because at least when we're pursuing success, it has a way of at least giving us this illusion that, man, I'm all set. I'm all set. Whether I feel like I have it, 99% of the time we don't really feel like we have it yet. I mean, you talk to the richest people in the world and say, you know, what's success? Well, a little bit more, right? But it, it, but it's that pursuit. Why? Because what's universal is human beings are chasing, running. We all are. This isn't just the American disease. Africa, Asia, Europe, North and South, South America, every human being on this planet is chasing success because of this belief, false belief, by the way, that that fills it, that that Fills the depression that fills it. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the happy people. First thing out of his mouth: the happy people, the blessed people, the people who God is proud of are the people who just get it. Jesus is not saying that God doesn't want you to be successful. He's saying he's the happy people are the people who understand that that's not their pursuit. Let God take care of you. Let God prosper you. But that is not my pursuit. The happy people can just stop. We say the word, say stop. Stop, stop that pursuit. Just stop every day. Every day, just stop. Before you go on your mad hunt, stop and just confess. Stop and realize. Stop and pray. And the baseline of prayer is just this, God, I am desperate for you. See, I said earlier that I would say if you asked me, you know, what's your pain level, 0 to 10. Let's replace that word pain with, a, with another, a couple other words. Brian, what's your desperation level? What's your need level? See, today I get it, and this is black and white to me. I would answer that question every time. I'm a 10. Brian, what's your desperate, how desperate are you, Brian? 10. I'm a 10. And that's why, and I do, I feel like I have an amazingly effective prayer life. I, I, heaven forbid if that sounds Like, you know, look at me, I'm bragging, because I've got nothing to brag about. I do have an amazing prayer life, but it is not because I'm disciplined. It's because I am so amazingly aware of that. I'm so amazingly aware of my need, of of that divot. I'm so amazingly aware of my need that it causes, it just causes prayer. Out of that need will spring, God, I need you. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go from that place of prayer and endeavor to be successful like everybody else. But I'm going to go with God. I'm going to go. I'm going to follow him. By the way, if you think, that, well, maybe you're stretching that poverty thing a little bit, Pastor Brad. Do you know the, what's the very next thing? This is verse 3. Uh, Jesus, in verse 4, the very next sentence, Jesus said this. First, blessed are those who are poor. What's the very next thing Jesus said? Blessed are those who, take the I-N-G, mourn. The very next word, blessed are those who mourn. He's saying, gang, this actually is the order of things in the earth, and the happiest people, the happiest people on planet earth, they get it. They see it. They see it for what it is, and instead of running from it, they embrace it. They say, God, I recognize I am desperate. I am needy, but they allow that to become what drives them to God, and out of that need comes this amazing relationship with God. It's what keeps opening. Let, let me just ask, say this way: If, now if, I, if I'm on your toes, if I get on your toes here a second, you'll forgive me, right? But let me just be as plain as I can be. If, if you would say that you have very little of a prayer life, let me help you. You're oblivious to your actual pain level. You're oblivious to it. You're oblivious to your actual desperation level. Your your thermometer is not reading correctly, the one in your head, because the truth is, the truth is you're desperate. The truth is you are aching for God. The truth is you are desperate for God. You are desperate for his grace. And Jesus said that blessed are the people who see that and that Is is what that is the motivation. That is what keeps driving their motive. That is what keeps them open to God. And once you're open to God, the miracle of water is you don't have to apply it. You don't have to apply it correctly. Some of us think, oh, you know, I got to pray just correctly. You know, what do I, how do I get the water in the right spot? You know, how, how do I get the healing correctly? How do I open the, the door to water? You don't, ha- you just connect with God, the water will find its way to the deepest spot. You don't have to apply it correctly. Are you with me? Does that make sense? It just comes in, finds the deepest spot. That's just what it does. The grace of God every day. Just open your heart. You know, there's one other, one other thing, one final thing, that seeing this correctly has changed in my life. It's, I guarantee you it's what motivates me to pray and open myself to God's word every day. I'm motivated because I'm a 10 on that desperation. One other thing has changed. You know, ever since you, I, you know, I said yes to Christ, you hear those sermons, you know, we got to reach out, save the lost. You know what, honestly, I was never really motivated to do that, really to share my faith that much. And the honest reason, if I was just utterly honest, it was because, by and large, I saw other people as more successful than myself. Just my internal interpretation, anyways, that they're, they're okay, they're all set. I mean, you know, I technically knew, okay, they don't have Christ, so yeah, they, they need Jesus. But at least in this life, I, I presume that, well, they're, they're doing good, man, they Look at that. They're driving a Tahoe. Man, they're all sad. (laughs) Now, again, whether or not I processed all that, but that that bottom line. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up quick, but I got to tell you, today it is so black and white to me, so black and white. Everybody I meet, I don't care what they're driving. I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care how white their teeth are. They are desperate just aching for God. And more, more often than not, they don't know it. More often than not, they don't. But I just, I know this. I, it, I have what they need. I do. I have what they need. I have that answer. I have, it's so simple. I have that healing water, Christ. And that, it motivates me to share. Now, we're starting a series here in just three weeks called Hidden in Plain Sight. I think we've got the logo here. And gang, we don't do these, we only do this like once a year. We don't do such series where we're going to, you know, play little clips of a movie and, and and find scripture, find God hidden right in those movies. The word of God comes alive. We don't do that for us on the inside, right? But Jesus has called us to share, to share his love and to share. And we've, we've tracked this and we've learned that people who don't know Christ yet, they feel a little bit more comfortable. Coming in, it's it's a little bit easier for them to connect to something like that. Do you know that when Jesus spoke to the crowds? The Bible says he only used parables. There's a scripture. If you could go to that scripture that talks about Jesus only speaking in parables, in his public ministry, in other words, when Jesus was talking to crowds, interesting, he says he never, never. Say that word, say never. Never. He never did what I'm doing this this morning. He never did it. He never just opened the Bible and just taught from the... He had the Old Testament. He never did it. Never just cracked the Bible, and why didn't he do that? Because people got bored then, just like they get bored now. It's true. He told stories. He taught... He never taught without using parables. Never. He was a storyteller. Do you know that in his day and age, there weren't movies? Do you know that people actually made money? If you were a skilled storyteller in Jesus' day, you could make a career... That that was the movie stars of the day, storytellers. The great... Have you ever heard a great storyteller... Just can weave them, and they just suck you into the story. Jesus was a storyteller. Now, why was he doing that? He's he's doing that for the outsider. And again, I'm going to go back to this one thing. I'm going to wrap up. I'm hoping that all of us in here get it. We just get it. God, blessed are those who are poor. God, that's me. That's me. I'm desperate. And, and that need will, will, will be our motivation to connect with God every day, to pray, to get back. That's why we come to church. God, we, God I need you. And it will provide the, the proper motivation to just reach out. I told you a couple weeks ago a story of a couple of families that I'm inviting into this series. You know, I don't feel like they're my project. But if you just keep praying for one, God, send me one person today to share your love with. By the way, can we pray that out loud together? Can we say it out loud? God, send me one person today to share your love. When that becomes a part of your life, when you're just doing that, if you'll do that ongoing, God has interesting ways of just opening your eyes to the people who are ready. They're coming to you in a sense, that the door is open. So they're not my project. I'm just praying that, letting God lead the process. But it's obvious to me that these, these guys are open. They're ready. They're, they're, they're opening, they're, they're wanting to have that conversation. So I'm gonna be inviting them in. I'm asking you, don't give yourself the privilege of just sitting on the sidelines on this one. Don't. You grow yourself when you get in that game. When you say, God, use me. Send me one person to share your love with us. I'm, I'm asking you to invite somebody. Out on the uh, welcome center are these cards hidden in plain sight. It's, it's got the times and you know, of the services. It doesn't have the date. Now, by the way, the, the date isn't there for purpo- on purpose, so you can actually tell them when it starts. We're, we're not expecting the card to do all the work. You have to. This is an invitation. You have to still say hi, right? Don't just leave the card on their desk, right? Let me do this. Let me pray for you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? And I want to pray for you. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that every one of us here, everyone here today, God, open our eyes to see our true desperation level. Open our eyes to see, God, how desperately we need your grace. God, we need you. Help us to see it, Lord. Help us to have that proper motivation to pray and to just live a life of worship. Can we do this together? Nobody's you don't have to look around and just, just close your eyes and don't, you don't have to say this out loud even. Just say it just really softly, even maybe even within yourself. Just repeat this prayer, will you? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for coming to this earth, for dying on that cross and for taking my pain. You died a painful death. You took my pain. Jesus, thank you for taking my pain and Lord, today, like every day, I open my heart to you and I say, I need you. I need your grace. I can't fill this hole with anything but you. Fill me with your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand up together. I love the fact that we get to end our service uh, with worshiping God because worship is one of, if not the chief, primary way that we keep that door open to just receive that healing water of God. God, as we worship, I pray, God, we just open our hearts in faith. We just cry out to you, God, we need you. And thank you for your spirit that flows in and provides healing and wholeness. Flow into every deep spot in our life and heal us in Jesus' name we pray.